Welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. It's Tuesday, December the 15th. Coming up, we're going to talk with our 640 Toronto tech expert, Adam Oldfield. He'll be discussing what exactly happened during that Google outage and also how you can get involved in getting some money back from Microsoft in one of Canada's largest class action lawsuits. But first, Friday afternoon, I was off work. I was buried basically in a bunch of sugar cookies, which I've tweeted out. I basically I found the best way to spend time with your ho- your family over the holidays uh, safely. And that is to turn everybody into a sugar cookie and then hand them to your family members, like just socially distanced, of course, drop them off and say, yeah, we'll be together together over the holidays. I tweeted out my little art project. Um, and thank you very much. To everybody who responded, thanks for the kind words. They're not that good, though. At Kelly Cotrera, if you want to see them. Um, Even a family looks like South Park characters. It's pretty much the deal. Friday afternoon, while I was covered in um, cookie dough, the Trudeau government made an announcement. And it didn't really land with me. It concerned the greenhouse gas emissions levy. And like most announcements that the government's hope will not get a lot of press, it was buried by a bigger story. And the bigger story over the weekend was the imminent arrival of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. So we've invited Dan McTagg, who is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy and former Liberal Member of Parliament onto the show to just get some perspective on exactly what was announced and how big of a deal it is, uh, why we need to pay attention to the particulars of Friday's announcement. Dan, good to have you on the show. Good to be here, Kelly. And I uh, wish I had one of those uh, sugar cookies you had, but uh, by the time Trudeau is finished, it'll be five times the cost for that dough and for that wheat and for that flour. So uh, get ready, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, yes, it was a quick announcement on the last day in which Parliament uh, uh, basically stood until uh, the holiday season, Christmas season is over, but it's uh, by no means an insignificant uh, announcement and it will have enormous implications for just about everybody in this country. Before we get to the implications, Dan, can you give us the broad strokes of the announcement? The announcement basically uh, increases uh, almost uh, well, three and a half fold what the federal government had promised it would not exceed in terms of uh, you know the amount of emissions reduction that it wanted by 2022. That's fifty dollars a ton. Uh, so put in perspective, uh, working out to about eleven cents plus HST on fuel. Uh, these uh, this announcement uh, in in one you know fell swoop means that that price uh, for just about everything will increase uh, by a factor of about three and a half over and above what you'd be paying in 2022 for the federal government's uh, carbon tax, uh, designed really to say, well, we're going to use this to reduce emissions while giving you a rebate. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later, but the rebate mm. is, of course, just a very small portion. You'll be paying a lot more in, in things like groceries and for um, keeping your home warm, as well as uh, transportation and other goods and services that are uh, delivered here in Canada. It's really a, kind of a, a surprise move by the government after uh, campaigning on a uh, on a pledge not to increase it. Uh, they, uh, in fact, have uh, stood forward and said they are going to do this. And uh, that's because Canada produces about 1.5% of all the world's uh, carbon emissions. And, of course, uh, between now and uh, uh, 2030, they'd like to see that get to what's called net zero. Interestingly enough, uh, China will simply uh, take up uh, whatever Canada decides to abandon. So the issue of emissions is really a a false one. And, uh, unfortunately, Canadians are going to be paying through the nose in ways they can't possibly imagine, as well as crippling, of course, many sectors of the economy, energy, agriculture, just uh, to start. 
Now, let me just uh, punctuate this, because there are people that say that, you know, we lean conservative on this station. You are a liberal. Uh, you you uh, were a liberal MP. So I think it's it's fair to say that you're criticizing the liberals here. Um, it's truly, it is important, the, the climate change, and to acknowledge that it's real, and it's extremely expensive climate change. So is there a choice or a middle ground that we could have landed on, in your opinion? Well, yeah, let's sell more natural gas to China rather than signing a Paris agreement that's designed to say, hey, we're, we're getting this issue of climate seriously that punishes Canadians for uh, being able to sell and to produce energy that the rest of the world needs to bring down those global emissions. Uh, it's really uh, ironic if you do believe that. And, you know, I think there's plenty of debate out there. I won't get into that right now. Mm-hmm. But yes, I have been and was a Liberal for 18 years, and I was the guy who handled the consumer consular uh, you know, energy file for a good part of that 18 years. Uh, and for me, uh, this is a party that's completely bereft and abandoned its uh, its principles in terms of protecting Canadians and ensuring that uh, whatever decisions are made are done in concert with our ability to grow uh, in a way that doesn't damage the economy. If you're going to trade away the energy sector, oil and gas, you're going to trade away the agriculture sector, you're going to trade away affordability for energy in Canada, then just come out and say that. Don't come out and say that, you know, somehow Canada can be the international Boy Scouts or international Girl Guides when it comes to uh, climate change or, more importantly, uh, given that we are infinitesimally responsible for any of this stuff, that we should somehow, you know, uh, destroy the very things that could help bring the world uh, into a situation where they're using more natural Canadian products that could help bring down global emissions. I'm all for doing that, but it seems that the same people that are providing you this very crippling carbon tax are also the same ones saying Canada shouldn't be building pipelines, shouldn't be exporting, and certainly shouldn't be in the business of, uh, of producing fossil fuels. The likes of which, by the way, Kelly, the world can't exist without fossil fuels and hydrocarbons. Right. And so, you know, even when we're fighting pandemics at a time not right now, a major crisis, exactly. Yeah, we're we're not ready. We're not set up yet. But uh, eventually, hopefully, we'll move that way. But we're not there yet. Gas prices, you're saying, are likely to balloon because of this. You're predicting forty-eight point five cents per liter by more by 2030 and it's not just gas that's going to be affected as you earlier mentioned food clothing anything that ships by truck will increase now doug ford is just he is livid he said this is the worst thing you could ever see i've never ever 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 been more disappointed in an announcement ever since i've been in politics this is uh this i just can't understand for the life Mm -hmm. of me any anyone else making uh noise about this is anyone else uh making noise about this at all well, I think conservatives like liberals, like everyone else, are going to have to start to choose uh, where they stand. Um, this is a very serious, I think it's overcorrection. If you have a problem, you address it. You recognize, first of all, that we have clean energy in Canada. We have, a clean, uh, we have achieved clean fuel standards. But yes, the totality of the impact on pricing, 48.5 for gasoline, 57.58 for diesel, all of these products, by the way, uh, and I, very ironically, are needed to build your electric vehicles, which have a much larger carbon mm. footprint than most internal combustion engines. But look, politicians are going to have to get with the program and recognize that all these trendy, wonderful ideas, based on what I think is pretty unsubstantiated uh, science, are going to have to start to wonder whether or not uh, this is too, a bridge too far for Canada. And if we're going to head down this road, uh, are we going to lose Canadians along the way? My guess is, at a time when people are struggling to make ends meet, businesses are losing their shirt. At a time when Canadians uh, reckon, uh, aren't given uh, any any credit from its government for the good work that we've done in clean energy, I think a lot of Canadians are going to sign off on this. And that could come up very soon. I think there's a federal election coming, March, April. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Canadians will have an opportunity. Can they afford this? Especially when they're not being rebated. Can you afford another $900 for your natural gas heating bill? Can you afford, uh, you know, to buy a brand new EV subsidized by the government, even at that? And I think these questions really have to be asked. We have a, a very one-sided, uh, you know, very much a, a one-sided debate in Canada in which it's all climate and uh, reality and perspective seem to be seem to have been abandoned and set to the uh, wayside. Dan, I got to leave it at that, but I thank you for joining us and bringing it to our attention. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much, Kelly. Cheers. Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Shaggy Dave is doing the technical production. Chris Creston, high atop Creston Towers, lording over everything as the primary producer of the program. And I believe he has lined up a good conversation with Adam Oldfield, one of my favorite guests to have on the show. He's our 640 Toronto tech expert. Welcome to the show, Adam. Good to have you on. Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate you to let me join you today. Uh, now that I'm able to be back online like the rest of the world. Ah, you're talking about the big Google outage. We'll talk about that in a second, but I want to start off with Microsoft uh, because apparently consumers can get in on Canada's largest class action lawsuit if you owned a Microsoft computer or non-Apple personal computer since 1998. Can you tell us a little bit about this lawsuit and how big the payout could be? Sure, absolutely. Let me start off at the beginning. I mean, this started back in the early, like, 80s when Microsoft was coming out with uh, on many PC computers, and uh, it actually got ruled that they were running a monopoly with their uh, Internet Explorer. Uh, it got thrown out. It actually was uh, kind of passed through the courts, and the Department of Justice in the U.S. brought it back into play around 1998. Ironically, around that time when Bill Gates said, I'm done, I'm going to pass on the torches to the president over to, uh, to Steve Ballmer, uh, who was the president at that time. So anyway, so what happened at that point was if you were buying a Microsoft product, and, and many do remember those times when you get a computer, you get Microsoft, and it had uh, Internet Explorer in it. Um, and if you wanted to run any other software, uh, it was very challenging challenging, meaning that if you wanted to run Netscape, which was another browser that no longer exists, it's now called Firefox, uh, it was very, very challenging to load it and make it work with the operating system. So this is where it became a monopoly. And what happened was the Department of Justice said, wait a minute, they, they ran uh, 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 through the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is was made like, I think, in the 1890s or something about monopoly to stop uh, uh, cartels and, and control of, of operations. So it's been dragged out since then. So what matters for, to you as users, if in 1998, if you happen to purchase any kind of personal computer uh, with a Windows operating system on it, you're going to be entitled to some of this $517 million. By the way, this is Canada. So the mm-hmm. U.S. had their own case. Canada took it on, uh, started in British Columbia. Uh, Ontario jumped in. Quebec jumped in. Uh, but with the ruling in 2018 in B.C., they agreed, hey, a lot of tech people are uh, have been impacted by this. So here we are, uh, you know, going on to uh, 15 years, 20 years later, they finally settled. And if uh, so, how much, though? That's this is the big question. I know I get asked, Kelly. OK, great. I'm entitled to some of this five hundred and seventeen million dollars. Um, how much are you going to get? Well, uh, you'll get thirteen dollars if you purchase a personal computer with Windows on it. You'll get about eight dollars. 
if you got Microsoft Office, and if you bought any other software that was Microsoft, uh, Excel, Word, or here's some names you may not even remember, Visual C+, Windows NT, uh, MS Works. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our, uh, younger people are going, what is he saying right now? Some Greek talk? Anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Dollars. <laughs> you're entitled $6. Now, why this is going to add up is that if you bought multiple computers, or um, there once was called a handheld Windows CE. Uh, it, was a, it was almost like the version of what we have with iPhones and everything else. If you had one of those, you get, uh, and you can disc- uh, disclose how you, or how many you had, it can add up. So you might have bought uh, for an office or a, a school, or maybe, you know, over the years, you bought six computers for the family. You're entitled to $13 per unit. So it's gonna it's gonna add up, and and this the best part of this is no proof of purchase is is required. No proof of purchase other than a receipt, and you need to give a description as clear as you can. Uh, and I tried to go into the unit and, or into the submission online and put your description as to what unit you had, approximate year you had them. Oh uh, Lord! You're need to put Who remembers that? Well, and, and this is where it becomes a bit of a challenge, but you will need to disclose whether it was a Dell or if it was an IBM or maybe you bought a Toshiba. There are going to be some depth details you're going to need to give some uh, disclosure to what you are entitled to or how you might have been impacted by that. Okay, and this is up until when? From 1998 till when? Up until 2018, when the when the case was settled and then they okay. had gone through. So up until that point, and, and man, that's a lot of years, and $517 yeah. million is going to dwindle real quick. I can tell you that. Okay. So uh, if you want to try and throw your name into the class action lawsuit, where do you go? Do you know? Or am I springing it on you here? You're throwing it on me, but at the end of the day, it's online. If you Google, actually, uh, Microsoft Canadian Antitrust, in Google will actually bring up a link that you can submit and uh, and put your information in as a request to get your uh, rebate back, if you will. I don't know if you call it a rebate, a refund, uh, the damages of being stuck with Internet Explorer, uh, however it is. But here's what's really interesting about this, Kelly, is that uh, this is the part which I think is going to leapfrog the next antitrust we're watching. And we saw this with Facebook. They're about to get a lot of heat. And, we, and I think a week ago, they're in the middle of the court similar. Now, it took since 1998 to Microsoft in the case to be settled. I have a feeling it's going to be much quicker because now they've got case law. I'm no lawyer, so don't get me wrong. And I think we need a legal expert on this with regards to uh, how it will work. But my interpretation is based on how I see the tech world moving. Facebook is under the scrutiny of breaking up Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, and with Facebook right now. This just sets a, a precedence in court that's going to basically use it as a, a case law to identify the antitrust that has existed, and it's pretty much evident that it was. So this could be, I would say, steamrolling Microsoft or uh, Facebook into it, followed by Google, followed by Amazon, followed by all of the Goliath operations. This this is going to be very interesting moving forward. Interesting. So I want to move backwards so that we can move forward with our conversation. Let's move back to, uh, you had mentioned if you want to find out how to get involved in the class action lawsuit, you just Google it. Yesterday, we had a Google outage 
And I know that Chris and I uh, and Dave, because we're in different, we're in remote locations, we communicate via a, a Google Docs where we go in and confirm what guests we have. And, you know, is Adam going to be on the show? Well, I'm hoping he's going to be here. And then I can see if Chris has made a change and I can make a change. Um, so we quickly lost access to this and Dave figured out, oh, it's a system-wide Google service outage. How big of a problem was this outage yesterday? Massive to the degree even I was having a chaotic moment. Uh, you want to watch Adam panic and have anxiety? Take down my Google. Uh, I run all my companies similar to what you were describing, Kelly, and uh, all my operations integrate using Google Meet, Google Chat. Uh, you know, I, I, I have several uh, forms that are submitted using Google, uh, COVID forms, uh, truck inspections. Uh, everything was kind of looked, everyone was kind of looking at each other going, what do we do? Uh, you know, because, you you know, these are obviously critical to be done every day uh, for obviously operation purposes, but there was a bit of a standstill from it. So uh, I even was thinking, oh, the Internet's just down. You're having challenges with it. Um, and then as I was going on as to who was down or was Google having issues, was I uh, maybe it was my account. I'm thinking, did I pay my bill uh, going on to go Google? Wouldn't even let me in to see if my bill was paid. So <laughs> from that level, we saw uh, what happened. So after further investigation, what took place was, um, and I'm going to try and not sound too nerd here, but there are multiple cloud systems with Google. So think of it as thousands, uh, I'm going to say even millions of servers around the globe right now in UK, India, Canada, the US, everywhere. All of them have a purpose. Some use Google Maps. Some are using uh, Google's suite or workspace, as they call it now. Um, each one has a purpose. In this case, one of the most volatile that went down uh, yesterday for a few hours was the authentication server. So when you sign into anything, Google, you usually put in your email address, and then depending on what your security settings, you put your password. And that password then goes through a server setting that will then access or give authority to getting into your Google Docs or getting into Google Maps or YouTube for that matter. Well, that authentication server is actually mirrored on multiple different countries. And when it went down, that's what hmm. I see. What took And there's place. no backup. So you might have been able... There's no backup, and it didn't, and it was pretty much critical to get into anything. So uh, that's why you may have been able to see the 505 error, or sorry, Google's having difficulty. That sad computer was there. Oh, yeah, uh, it might have computer. given you permission. I want to make it sadder <laughs> yeah, with know, my fist in its frowny face. You get that emotional when you see that little icon, Kelly? Yeah, so, yeah uh, I do. Yeah. Anyway, that's why you might have been thinking, well, I can enter my email, but then when my password goes in, it keeps dumping me out. That was the main issue. Okay. And, you know, there's there's even a bigger issue at the heart here. There's a lot of us converting our dumb residences into smart homes with home automation like Google Home. And the Google Home app apparently was down. It controls Google Nest, Google, uh, you know, uh, home for, for smart automated lights and things like that. A Wi-Fi. They all come from this single app. There was this, this, uh, I think he's a journalist and he said, he tweeted out, I am here sitting in the dark on my, in my toddler's room because the lights are controlled by at Google Home rethinking, rethinking a lot right now. Do you think? that um, people that were affected by this outage yesterday are rethinking um, making their, you know, going whole hog with their smart homes. 
100%. And if they aren't, they should be thinking about it. Uh, if you're dependent, this is this is the problem. I, I, I love tech. As you know, I'm on your show st- speaking to it. But yeah. I still haven't integrated Google Home or Alexa into our house completely. Um, and my main reason is that, you know, the old term of 99.9% uptime, you might have heard that if you're going to set up a website or you might hear that when you're talking to companies about how, you know, is it safe and is it going to be online? Well, it's got worse. Many won't even advertise the fact that you get 99% uptime because they can't guarantee that with all of what's happening right now. So I think we're a little premature to jump into the whole Google Home, uh, Apple Home, uh, Alexa, all of those smart devices that you get. First of all, the number one concern is exactly what happened yesterday. The authentication server went down. All those devices require authentication. They're meant for security reasons. Number two, uh, we haven't uh, actually created a fully encrypted secure environment where uh, every week we keep hearing about new systems getting compromised. Um, FireEye, which is one of the biggest used by the FBI, was compromised just this past week. And, you know, what that means is yet to be said, but I can tell you it's not good, Kelly. It mm-hmm. means that these uh, hackers from Russia have full access to systems that we have depended in in North America to protect us, to keep wow. our devices of Internet of Things secure and safe. So, uh, yeah, I think we need to go back to the dumb appliance. Your coffee maker <laughs> needs to be done by turned on by hand. And yeah. you need to think about that blender where you used to have to, like, push the hard buttons. And I would say that you might want to step back from that smart home and go, I, I think the world needs to have a little time to uh, develop the proper encryption and security before you jump fully into it two feet forward right now. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Always appreciate your time. Click subscribe and we'll be waiting for you wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Have a great day.